Welcome back to another episode of the Dirty Decibels Podcast. My name is Jeff, and uh, I'm hanging out with my pal Nick Illick today. Hello. He's joining me live from Dundee, Scotland, which is which is the furthest away, the furthest away guest I've ever had on the show. Um, to be fair, I have grown up and lived in the Jersey, Pennsylvania border <laughs> area, so... <laughs> Definitely, we, we the, can maybe reduce that. Not the furthest, not the furthest native uh, person sure, away sure. that I've had guests <laughs> on the show, but definitely the furthest physically away from me right now. Um, how how is uh, how is life in Scotland? It's honestly pretty nice. Uh, I've been full cabin fever this entire period because there was a hard lockdown from like Christmas until April, where like you couldn't even walk into a fast food place; they had to bring it out to you. Right. So. Right. I've just been uh, enjoying the weather and just hanging out. Pretty, uh, pretty minor stuff. All the bars have just opened, which is right. pretty wild. But is it starting to warm up there a bit as it is here? As as warm as it's going to get. I, I don't think it's going to get above like 80, 85 degrees, even in the height of summer. Yeah. So I mean, it, it hailed the other day. That's not but. really too much. I'm, that's actually, I feel like that's surprising to me for Scotland. I would have said even colder than that. I would have said like it wouldn't get above like 65. Yeah. Um, because you just think about it as being like kind of up north there, but it's really not that much different. I feel like than Massachusetts as far as like where it is. Honestly, right? So latitude wise, <laughs> it is like on par with like Oslo in Norway. Oh, okay. As, as latitude. However, it really doesn't get very cold either. It doesn't get below freezing really. Like yeah. there's one yeah. snowstorm a year and it's like a couple inches. It's not like the East coast where it goes from, hundred degrees full humidity to like a meter of snow overnight. Like it just doesn't change that much. It's always right. a little bit temperate and a little bit damp. Yeah. It's kind of nice. You get like, it's just more mild overall in general. Yeah. Which is, just, that, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, um, as long as you don't mind rain. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I, uh, I haven't often thought about like life in another country during all this. Like what, how, how has like, have they been pretty serious about, you know, their, their restrictions and like taking the pandemic seriously there since it started. Absolutely. Uh, Nicholas Sturgeon, the MP like of, of Scotland has really been like directly messaging people on Twitter or whatever. When there was like in Aberdeen, there was a big uh, rugby tournament that like 50 cases got spread and like personally called them out on it. It, it's pretty it's a pretty wild shock especially like looking at everything in america through like a two by five screen it's been really surreal yeah yeah like seeing everything on your phone seeing everything play out the on elections phone. the protests yeah the entire pandemic response it it blows my mind that restaurants were open the entire way through there were months where i couldn't even set foot in a restaurant and like yeah. that, that's how it should be ultimately yeah yeah, it's it's like slowly coming back now, but there's so I guess it moved mostly it moved to outside, but like there were a lot of states where like they didn't even. It's funny hearing some like them 
freak out over like even 50 cases like whereas it's like here yeah. there are events that are spreading it by the thou there well there were you know they yeah. still had like the motor the sturgis motorcycle rally and they still had all this stuff that like it's ridiculous yeah it, it, it one of those things that like kind of hurts my head because i just try and imagine the scale obviously yeah. scotland has a population of about four million so it really that those smaller incidences make bigger waves but i can't even imagine Nine thousand people from a Christian rock concert, like yeah, yeah, it's all relative, I guess. The 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 amount it's mind blowing though. It's still crazy. It I I must suck. I imagine like the you know, uh, sense of isolation because like we were talking before and you were saying like you know if you if you have to come back, there's really strict quarantine rules and stuff like that. So it makes it like Mm -hmm. really impractical to do it. But also at the same time, I guess you're kind of like kind of in a you could be in a worse spot for sure. Like you know what I mean? At least it's got like. It's, yeah. it, it's a country that takes it seriously. So, you know. Yeah, there are definitely some silver linings. I honestly think I am pretty adept at doing like cabin fever stuff. I think I'd be good on like a long transatlantic cruiser, like a, a container ship type thing. Because I, I can very much just keep myself occupied. Yeah. I have a bit of the hyper focus ADD. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's lent itself pretty well to your art, I think. And, uh, and, and that's what I, I wanted you to come, come on the show to talk about, of course. But, um, Nick is a amazingly talented graphic artist, a painter, and you're getting your PhD right now in, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in medical illustration, right? Yep. I would love to talk all about how you kind of came to this. Do you, do you want to chat about how you got started initially in like the graphic arts and how you got into like drawing and painting and like what your path to this was. Yeah, absolutely. So something that I, I, cause you know, you end up giving these spiels every so often, something that I've really come to connect with is like the fact that honestly, I never grew as a kid. There were people that doodled and were able to just do these little sketches and just fun stuff when you're like a teenager or whatever. And that, that blossoms into an artistic career and a style and whatever. I did not. I never drew until I was about 17, 18. I was going to be like purely medical stuff, like purely surgical, biological. That was the the realm that I was looking for. And ultimately I came to the conclusion that I'm I'm far too clumsy for it. Like my my handshake and la- I don't know, it 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 got a little bit heavy for me. And that's when I kind of came to the realization that medical illustration was a career. I, I kind of came at this a little bit backwards okay, and gotcha. ultimately decided that I was going to learn to draw. I was going to go on YouTube and learn how to shade the circle and do all these fundamental things to just teach myself in order to get a portfolio together to go to my undergrad, which was a uh, Arcadia university. And I did scientific illustration and pre-med. Right. Stuff. Right. But the living proof, honestly, that, Drawing like any other skill like carpentry or like welding or mechanical stuff is something that you can teach yourself. It's something you can learn. It's a skill. I think people have the misconception that it's innate. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like people always saying like, oh, you're so talented. Oh, you're so talented. And it's like, yeah, but it's also a lot of work. Like you, (laughs) you also like practice and it's like you get better, you know, Um, and it shouldn't be discouraging. It's no, the same no, thing with, with playing an instrument. You shouldn't be discouraged for having to do like smoke on the water. You, you right. got to do that. Yeah. So you were originally thinking of like actually going into med school, like actually doing like being a surgeon. 
Yeah, that, that was my initial my initial goal in the matter, and what drew me to medical illustration in the first place was like ultimately doing like you know high school dissections with frogs, and then later in my masters doing uh, dissection on cadavers and like actual like human tissue. I feel like I made a good choice. I'm pretty clumsy. <laughs> I, I knock a lot of stuff over. I I'm I'm pretty shaky with the hands. I don't think I would want to be doing. <laughs> hey at least you can admit that right up front you'd be like you know what because i don't think i'd want somebody with shaky hands doing my heart surgery either um but i think it's i think it's rad that you've found a really impactful way to still contribute to this field and like do it artistically too which is really cool before i met you i had not ever i didn't even really know that medical illustration was a field like I definitely remember some like science textbooks like maybe when I was in high school or something having like diagrams and drawings but that's one mm-hmm. of those fields that you I think it's easy to not think about maybe not a lot of people know too much about it absolutely but I'm curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about like exactly what it is and like what it's used for the most like where where do medical illustrations show up where are they used and how are they used of course, yeah, and you're not alone in assuming that it's a fairly uh, niche field because it really is. It's it's something that is uh, a very like practical and utilitarian approach. Oftentimes, uh, obviously, when we think of these massive tomes of like uh, the complete book of anatomy and like uh, Gray's Anatomy and Netter, all of those are these wonderfully hand drawn illustrations with oils and wash, and it, it's really stunning stuff. And there's a temptation now, as happened with many other creative fields, to be candid. You know, there's cameras. Why aren't we just taking pictures of these? Why aren't we just using clinical photos? And ultimately, a photo isn't always what you need. Um, When conveying specific ideas, when conveying specific anatomy, it's pretty confusing in there. It it doesn't look like all nice and arranged as it would on on an illustration. Right. uh, utilizing the the creative license to convey the information rather than what is actually there. Um, I I think of it as like uh, science communication. When people publish a paper about discover, like arguing the position of your gluteus medius or whatever, having an illustrator there to convey those points are is pretty vital. Right. Right. So it's a it's a fairly it's definitely a niche field, but it has its its specific applications. And every time, say, there's a new video series teaching people about anatomy or explaining physiology, they all need to be new illustrations, just right. because right. each one of them are copyrighted. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can't you can't just snag the Gray's Anatomy textbook and just plop it into your. Right, right, right. So you're saying there's like there's always kind of a a need for illustrators in lots of different situations where people are creating like new material that, you know, has to be, has to be used for, for like teaching materials and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's rad. That's, that's really cool. I mean, I've seen some of it. I've seen some of the work that you've done and that, that was going to be my next question was going to be about why it's used instead of photography. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, but it, I think it makes sense when you think about it. I think like if, if I think about pictures or video, I've seen that show, like surgery or like show, um, you know, parts of like the anatomy, it, 
you know, it just looks like a red blob kind of, you yeah. know, there's not, it's really hard to see like veins and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the other factor is that like, it's pretty visceral, like literally visceral, right? Like a lot of people don't want to be confronted with just like constant photos of, of human tissue. It's, it's off-putting to a lot of people and right. can get in the way of the matter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you're able to like actually pinpoint things in the drawing nerves or tendons or veins or whatever like that you features right that you might not be able to see in the in the actual photos and they're kind of less squeamish too which is cool yeah of of course when you get to a a clinical like clinical anatomy textbooks then yeah of course you're going to have really close-up graphic pictures but for for the vast majority of people that do need to learn this stuff it's not it's not vital yeah 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 when you study this from a from an illustration uh, standpoint uh, how does, how does it work? Does like, do you have to, I would assume you have to like side by side also study the anatomy itself and almost as if you were going to be like an actual physician, uh, or, or be like an actual, like work in the medical field directly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That was, uh, the bulk of my master's program was not only learning different techniques for illustration, going through different assignments, but also, um, one of the reasons I went to Dundee in the first place, the University of Dundee is one of, I think, four or five schools that do medical illustration, but they have a specific embalming process for their cadavers, which they're very proud of, called teal, like almost like the color, but it preserves the flexibility and color of the tissue. So you're able to like pull the tendons and see the fingers move. And wow. uh, our class was given like essentially a full cadaver from which people uh, practice knee replacements or, you know, all these various, all these various utilizations that medical students need to go through having cadavers. And in addition to like dissecting and reflecting different muscles, drawing them in the process. So there is specific legislation around showing these illustrated materials that come from a specific source. It has to be tagged properly. It has to be properly released and fill out all these forms, which is another reason why illustration is important because you don't want it to necessarily be an identifiable specific person, even though you're supposed to and do study from it. Right. 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 It leaves you the the power of ambiguity to like, um, just deal with like the subject and not the actual like source. Yeah. And, and respect for the, the person's sacrifice and gift to science. Right. Right. I think that's really cool. And I think it's, it's just really cool to, think about an entire field of art that applies. So, I mean, I, I I think you could always say that art and science overlap in many ways, but um, in in other walks of life too, but like to think about a way in which like art is directly supporting science and able Mm -hmm. to support science in a way that photography can't, which I, I mean, yeah, photography is art as well, but Mm -hmm but photography is also science in a way, right? Like it's also physically like capturing an image, like the way that photography works is science. And it's an, it's an interesting example where you have this cross section of like science actually needs art in this sense, in a very specific way. Absolutely. It's very much a Venn diagram where there are certain applications that, that do cover both more than anything, because of course we could always argue about the, the beauty in engineering and, like the the sure. dedication that it takes to learn something. But ultimately, when I think of how art and science are on opposite sides of the spectrum, I think it's in how 
information is communicated. I think like the way that reading science journals and science textbooks, it is very didactic. It is very exact. And there's a specific format. And ultimately it doesn't take the time to explain every piece of jargon and prerequisite theory because somebody reading it is supposed to know all that. And I think the way that art communicates is much more somatic and, uh, it, it facilitates people learning about something without having to scroll through the entire mass of prerequisite information. So I think the ways in which it's communicated, both have their strengths and weaknesses and trying to bridge that gap so that this incredibly dense material can be processed into something that is useful for students, useful for the general public. Right. Right. I think there is, some of the stuff that I've seen you create too. And like some of the stuff I think that you've posted and linked to and stuff like that, like it, it actually, it really is like beautiful work. Like it, it's, it's incredible. I how appreciate de- that. Well, it's incredible how detailed some of the artistry gets in, <clears throat> uh, I just like the textures and the, uh, the colors and the detail of like, you know, I, I don't know. I suppose in some respects it, it would be easy. It would be, easy to like show, well, this is a muscle or this is a bone or something like that. You know, we all think like what a bone looks like, like a skeleton, you know, but like the deep, like finite details of like of painting and drawing that go into, to medical artwork is actually really impressive. Um, and, uh, and I'm, I'm curious to know like where a lot of that influence comes from. Like, are there specific, are there specific art styles that are akin to like medical illustration specifically or are are there you know are there are there famous artists in the in the medical illustration world like the the regular art world has like picasso and and different different, yeah different artists absolutely that's a really good question yeah so it's easy to like create very schematic approaches like you know just these block rectangles but ultimately people don't find it attractive and engaging which when you're trying to burn names of Latin muscles into your memory. It, it helps to have something that's a bit engaging. And like, it's really interesting that you brought that up because there are kind of different styles and, and little sub genres of medical illustration, because you have the very classic, uh, just like pure black and white, like pen and ink style, lots of tiny stippling and dots that really graduate out into these massive, incredibly photorealistic beautiful pieces and then on the other side you have something like netter who did the complete human anatomy where it's very much uh done in oil or watercolor and it's very bright and vibrant and sculptural almost and it in my mind is very much akin to the american realism of like norman rockwell or Mm -hmm. line decker where these very descriptive very bright and very sculptural in in how it's conveyed yeah, it's, it's funny thinking about the uh, the medical Norman Rockwell. It's like I immediately had a cliche image of like anthropomorphic like blood cells, like sitting at yeah. a sitting at a malt shop counter or something like, <laughs> like with like little it, little like hats on and smiles or something. <laughs> it's exactly like that in the way that Norman Rockwell almost effortlessly was able to paint the the dimensions on the buttons of the shirt of the guy at the coffee shop. Like yeah. It's that, but they're all missing their skin and it's all perfectly accurate. Right, right. Yeah, it's, I think it's incredible. Um, it's funny you talk about it being sculptural too because I feel like 
another thing that people might think of if you said like medical artwork or like medical, uh, you know, diagrams of like the insides of anatomy and, and skeletons and stuff like that are, are sculptures or are like structures. Um, yes, absolutely. And I mean, is that like a whole separate, is that like kind of a whole separate field that like, or is that very similar to some of the stuff that you study or? Absolutely. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely, I definitely consider myself like a very traditional medical illustrator. Like I'll, I'll show you just something I'm working for like a, a freelance project. Like it's very much watercolor illustrations on paper that I scan in. However, you know, we live in a, a modern age. We live in a modern age where, you know, you can don your 3d Oculus Rift goggles and go into this incredibly like pull apart by layer, perfect human anatomy structure that was done in, ZBrush or Blender, and you're able oh, to wow. not only that, like carve something in real life, scan it in, and it becomes a 3D model. And there's so many different avenues for people to express this information in. Yeah. So um, they, so like you're talking like sometimes, uh, like medical illustrations can be created so that someone can can like simulate in in like a VR. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Environment to like practice a surgery or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's everything from you know just pulling it up on your computer into like Unity or whatever, and being able to see this three D model if that's more how somebody works if they're more like a spatially focused person. And yeah, there lots of people are going into like obviously VR is touted as the next big thing and the big big step forward or whatever. Right, so obviously right. people are, are trying to bring that in where we have these perfect, if you do CT scans of people, you can get their perfect proportions. There, there's yeah. a lot of really interesting stuff. Yeah. I imagine it's like uh, a relief on, you know, the, the business of trying to source cadavers and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure that 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 will always have to be part of it, but like, mm -hmm. you know, it's difficult, I'm sure. And like, you have to rely on, the goodness of people to like donate, you know, their, their Absolutely. remains to science and stuff like that. And it can be a, probably like a delicate field. I'm sure. I'm sure that like utilizing that technology now is helping out maybe a little bit with like the need to always have a cadaver for something. That's like pretty cool. And, Absolutely, uh, and it, yeah. again, it's not something like you really think about too much if you don't work in that field, you know? Um, Absolutely. It's very, it's very much a specific utility. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Will illustrations generally be done? Like you said, a lot of times you, you, you'll you do them in oils, you'll do them in like on physical medium, like can canvas or on yeah. paper, right? And then it gets scanned digitally, like for, for textbooks and stuff like that? Yeah, that, that's how I typically work. Uh, there are some people that really do fantastic work just totally in Photoshop or in Procreate or whatever digital format. I'm just, right. I'm a bit uh, techno illiterate. <laughs> I'm a bit of a Luddite. I, I really do prefer the textures and the motions that you get with physical materials, but that that's my preference. It, it really is. How, how do I articulate this? The subject is what unifies it and every other different type of medium or genre can be utilized to convey this information and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Right. Right. How long does all this process take? I mean, I know that, you uh, have gotten an undergrad and, and a graduate degree, a master's degree. Mm -hmm. uh, you're pursuing a PhD now. So like, I know like those different types of programs vary from subject to subject and, and like field to field, mm -hmm. but like how long does this whole process take? Like when will, when will this whole 
process sort of be done on the education side of it for you? So I, I will admit I am, I am extending my education just because I find I, I enjoy being in academics. It's also to avoid paying back student loans. However, <laughs> um, the uh, four years undergrad typically, because people can come in with a medical degree or an art degree and like be able to gear up to an appropriate level where you can go to a master's program. And it varies uh, in America. It's typically two years in Canada and Scotland. It was like one year in a trimester system. Uh, so yeah, typically five to six years. Um, then you can get accredited by the AMI, the association of medical illustrators, or there's European ones and you get accredited as a medical artist. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, do you, do you see yourself pursuing like, uh, mainly staying in academia as far as like, uh, you know, work in the future? Like where do you, where do you kind of see yourself going or, or are there other avenues where you're directly in like within a hospital system or a medical system or like, how does it, how does it usually work? Yeah. So it, it really comes down to what path you want to pursue because, Realistically, I don't need to get a PhD in this, but it's something that I found a, a thread of research which I would be, I, I would enjoy pursuing, and I think it's one way to get into, say, publishing in journals or, yeah, getting a professor, excuse me, professor position. Um, but yeah, other people can sign on to. There are big, uh, like, not conglomerate companies, but like multiple artists teams that will do work for corporate clients or oftentimes people get hired to do uh stuff within pharmaceutical companies all the yep. um all the commercials of the i don't know your your medication common heartburn and that kind of stuff oh your, right your right, right. like the little cells. animations yeah, and yeah. stuff yeah yeah for sure yeah uh, there, there's all these different applications so yeah it, it does come down to what you want to pursue i i definitely err more towards the side of academics but yeah is there a yeah. whole separate piece of it too that's more like that, like the uh, like almost like video animations and and uh, and oh, stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, that's that's become a, a huge field recently. Does that fall under kind of the same program? <laughs> so uh, we did do animation within uh, my master's program, and they they taught you the the proper techniques for creating a, an industry standard uh, illustration. Obviously, the the blood cells going through the vein is the the classic example that everybody that everybody does. But yeah, it, it is just another, it's another tool in the, in the tool belt. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's so cool. Do you feel like, so what are your outside of medical illustration specifically? What would you say some of your biggest influences are as an artist, just in general, like what kind of in art general. inspires you? Yeah. Like I'm, I mean, I'm looking at, I'm assuming you did the painting that's behind you. Yeah. Um, which is pretty rad. Like, where do you, you, where do you kind of draw your inspirations from in general? Like, yeah. So I, um, I recently within the past two years, I'd say I've gotten very into, um, plain air painting. So painting outside from direct observation and like trying to capture the weather patterns and the lighting of a specific event. And also the, the Russian realist and American realist period of illustrators in like the twenties to the fifties. Lion Decker, Norman Rockwell, and like Vasily Vershashagin is a, a Russian realist who would do uh, almost like uh, ethnographies or uh, 
would go to different locations and just paint the surroundings as a way to record record the culture. And I think uh, presenting that into a more a more modern context. So modern genre painting, I think, would be the way to to summarize it. Observing my surroundings and observing the culture surrounding me and trying to create narratives in painting. Yeah. That's awesome. Which, That's cool. Yeah. I, I think, especially painting from observation, painting from real life, that is a skill that improves no matter what subject you're doing. Like, I feel like I've improved from sitting out and painting landscapes in my medical illustration and vice versa, just because it, it's, you're working the same muscles. Yeah. Totally. Are there technical challenges that come into play when you're painting outdoors like that? Like, do you have to worry <laughs> about like the paint drying too fast or like, yeah, absolutely. Sun, like hitting it or something. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a couple and I, I try not to correct them when weather does get inclement, but like there are so many paintings that have just washed away from rain or uh, where the paint's frozen on the paper and you can see the, the frost patterns in the dried watercolor. It, it, yeah, I go through a lot of hot hands. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Oh yeah. Especially in Scotland too. I feel like it's yeah, even harder because yeah. you've got shorter, you've got a shorter amount of time throughout the year that you mm. can kind of like be outside and paint and that it's comfortable. Right. <laughs> well now, especially uh, because we're coming close to the summer solstice, the sun doesn't set until 10, 10 30 and is up by four at, at the peak. It's like the sun rises at three 30 in the morning and, sets at like 11, 1130. So there's that really narrow window of darkness. Of course, yep. it's inverted in the winter, but. Right. Yeah. It's like all dark all day in the damn winter. Yeah. <laughs> you you oh, get some, uh, some neat weather effects. Yeah, for sure. That, sure. that, that's really cool. Um, I think it's cool to like approach it that way. Like you said too, like not correct it, just trying to let it be what it is. I mean, it's like not, yeah. as much a part of the painting where you painted it as, as like the subject that's in it too. Yeah. Because I'll admit, I got a bit obsessive during the the course of the lockdown where I would paint pretty much one a day and especially around like sunset time. And it's remarkable what, what an instant memory jog it is where I can, I can remember so many details about the day just by looking back at the the painting of it and the trying to emulate the feeling of the surrounding and trying to emulate the weather and lighting. It, It really for me is better than any, any written journal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny the way, especially like this whole weird year, you know, just the way that art Mm -hmm. has shown up in everybody's lives. And like, that's a, that's a really awesome way to think about it. It's like you, you could, you can look at one picture, a painting a drawing, uh, something you wrote, whatever this year. And like, you'll remember, you know, you'll remember exactly kind of what it, what that was or like what, what you were feeling then just cause this whole year has been so like, um, poignant, like in everybody's yeah. psyche, you know, you're, you're constantly confronted with something out of the norm and that, yeah. that leaves a bigger impression than your, your day to day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But we could talk a little bit about your, uh, life as a musician too. You now yeah. you recently started a band with, I'm assuming fellow, fellow residents of Scotland, <laughs> Yeah, since it'd be a little hard to, uh, to have a band with people back here in Jersey, but, um, <laughs> how's, how's that been going for you? It's been going really good. Um, so I started, uh, our band, all depends in June of 2019, we put out an EP, I think like April of 2020. <laughs> so that's pretty telling. 
um, and finishing up recording an album right about now. Uh, interestingly, the two other guys that I'm with are uh, one guy's named Hooligan, and he's from Mexico City, moved to Scotland when he was 18. And my other friend, our, our bassist, John, is from Wales, moved up. So, so, so you're all kind of transplants there. Yeah, we all happened to coincide in in Dundee, met at uh, Conroe's Basement, which is the, the local punk venue run by Make That It Take Records, and the rest is history. Nice. <laughs> How's the scene there? Is it like a pretty good music scene? I mean, obviously hard to judge this year, but I mean like in general. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely. The, the DIY punk scene in Scotland is like, I instantly felt at home genuinely when i when i came here and came to converse basement specifically is the the one that runs dundee in my opinion but uh just like a sweaty basement and having this it was the same energy it was the same scene in just a slightly different different location it's really been it's been wonderful it's been very uh very reassuring yeah for sure that's the one thing i've always said like you can go to any country in the world even if people don't speak even i mean you know we go up to montreal and like yeah. The whole show could be in French and I don't speak French, but like you're, you're still with your people, you know, you're still, yeah. you're still home. And, uh, that's, what's so rad about it. <laughs> yeah. To, to reach that point. I noticed this also in, uh, Hamburg and, uh, booze cruise where it's like for you to all reach that specific sweaty basement, like you would have to go through enough similar experiences in your life that you have some sense of camaraderie. Yeah, of course. Right. It's just like, implicit. Like, everybody went through their journey to punk, you know? Um, yeah. Which is cool. Uh, do you feel like, do you, that's a, be an interesting thing to, to, to talk about. Do you, do you feel like punk has had a lot of influence in your, in your art, like in your, your mm-hmm. drawing style, your painting style, like the, the stuff that you, that you create either medically or non-medically in, in different ways. Yeah. So I think, um, I've been in the punk scene for longer than I've been into anything else. And that inevitably has rubbed off on me and more than like the specific aesthetic. I obviously I do a lot of paintings of people on tour and punk venues and stuff, Right. but it's the DIY ethos and the just drive to do this art for yourself. And if other people like it, then good. And if not doing the work itself is the benefits doing the practice it it's a diy ethic yeah yeah, yeah. for sure and, and it shows up in so many things you know so it's mm-hmm. not it's not even a question that it would show up in art in, in visual art too and yeah. um and i think that's really rad well if you want to check out nick's portfolio work his drawings and stuff like that you can go to illicscienceart.com that's i-l-i-c scienceart.com uh you can also check him out on instagram illicscienceart and uh and if you want to check out his band all deep ends they uh have an ep out that you can find on make that a take records.bandcamp.com and you can also look out for uh their own Bandcamp coming soon with their new release so uh thanks so much for coming on the show dude and uh, absolutely it was a great time yeah thanks it's been a it's been a pleasure catching up and um and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Ho- hopefully. Hopefully you get back, uh, get back safe to the U.S. for a visit, at least in the fall. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> All right. Have a great night, right. folks. 